Please take your scripture and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We'll start at verse 12, read through verse 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dear precious Father, we ask that you would join with us now as we study your word, opening our hearts and minds to hear the message that you have for us today. And then, Father, give us that will and that courage to apply it to our lives to serve you more closely and deeply. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. That key passage today, that passage is very familiar to us. We've heard the verses preached before. However, that doesn't diminish their importance and what they have to say to us. That familiarity with those words doesn't make them trivial. They still are very impactful and we should listen. There is another adage, though not from Scripture, that is often quoted in thinking about the past. It's often misquoted. A lot of people see truth in it. Have you ever heard this phrase, those who fail to remember the past are doomed to repeat it? The adage has been used by many famous people in their speeches. It's been reworded. It's been misattributed. The adage is actually credited by scholars to George Santayana. George Santayana was a philosopher of Spanish descent. He was born in Madrid, Spain in 1863, and he passed away in Rome, Italy, where he was living in 1952. The actual quote is taken from a book he wrote called The Life of Reason, and that quote is, Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Most of us, certainly all of us, can see the wisdom in this quote. So the sermon title being The Past Conflict, this is where that title comes into play. This is where the past, meaning these two observations about the past, conflict. The Apostle Paul is saying, forgetting what lies behind, which is the past. Forgetting the past, he talks about. But Santayana is saying, we must remember the past or we're doomed to repeat it. So which one is right? As in most things, the answer is both. We need the truths from both of these. It's not an either-or question. It's from different perspectives, and we're going to talk about that today and share. So let's focus on Paul's comments in chapter 3 of Philippians. In verses 4 through 6, Paul sets forth the argument that he was on a successful path. He was of Hebrew blue blood. In other words, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, which was a good known tribe of the Hebrews. He could prove that lineage. It was established. 
He had the best education. He studied in the best Jewish synagogues. He studied under Gamaliel, one of the leading teachers at the time. So Paul had a, 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 an excellent education, an Ivy League we would talk about today, education. And his work was highly motivated and respected by his peers. Paul had every reason to feel confident and to boast about himself. You know, and somebody has said, it's not boasting if you do it. So Paul had the right lineage. He was a man of his culture. He was a man of, his, of education. And he was on the career path within the Hebrew Jewish culture. But Paul experienced a paradigm shift on that day on the road to Damascus, when Jesus appeared to him, blinded him, and asked him, Saul, Saul, his original given name, why are you persecuting me? The paradigm, a paradigm is a standard, it's a perspective, it's a set of ideas. Paul's original paradigm was that followers of Christ were heretics. They were blasphemers of the true faith. And following his paradigm, in other words, his set of ideas, he was zealous in eliminating the Christian concept to the point of having followers put to death. A paradigm shift is a change in that standard perspective or set of ideas. When Paul encountered Jesus, he was forced to examine his beliefs. The account recorded in Acts chapter 9, in an homage to last week's sermon, Ananias, a follower of Christ, was told to go to Paul and bring him into his house. Ananias was obviously hesitant. God was telling him, do something crazy. He was told to bring a person who was murdering Christians into the home with him, him being a Christian. Understandably, he was concerned about this command from the Lord, but he obeyed. And as a result, he was instrumental in one of, if not the greatest leaders, greatest teachers of the Christian faith coming to know Christ as Savior. Paul was led to a faith in Jesus Christ and given some basic instruction. Scripture then tells us that Paul began preaching in favor of Jesus Christ. Paul had the education. He knew the documents. He had studied under those greatest teachers the writings of the past. It isn't that he didn't know the historical facts. It isn't that he didn't know the prophetical writings about the Messiah. He had just simply made the wrong determination about their meaning. And in fact, what Paul did compared to uh, and, and in conjunction with the other people of his time and education level was they misinterpreted or didn't want to believe the total messianic prophecy. You see, there are actually two prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ. One of them is his coming as a suffering servant. 
coming to be the sacrificial lamb. The other prophecy about Jesus Christ is his coming as a conquering king. And that's what the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, were looking for in that day. They were oppressed by the Romans. They hated that rule. They wanted to be free. So naturally, in their personal uh, proclivities, they were looking for a king to come rescue them. But that time is yet to come. We are all looking forward to that day when the Bible tells us that as the lightning comes from the east to the west, with a trumpet sound, the Lord shall appear and will set all things aright. We'll cast Satan into those chains in the lake of fire and brimstone. We're looking forward to that. But before that occurred, Jesus came and did the real redemption from slavery. He, he affected the true liberty that we needed, and that is the forgiveness of our sinful nature that held us in sin and bondage to death and sin. He came, he took our sins upon himself, and he died upon the cross so that we might live. That was truly the most important liberation that needed to take place. Yes, the Romans were horrible. Yes, the Greeks before them dominated the Hebrews. But those were political powers that affected life for a short time. But the dominion of sin, our sin nature, is what truly condemned us. And that's what Jesus came to set right. So like his peers, Paul was looking forward to this Messiah to come who was going to be a conquering king. And he was rejecting the truth that Jesus first came as that little baby as the sacrifice for our sins. And so as Jesus met him on the road and as he was instructed in the faith by Ananias and other followers, he was getting a real big paradigm shift. His ideas were being challenged tremendously from what he knew and had been living. But he accepted it. He didn't have to. He could have stubbornly insisted to go on with what he was doing. He could have developed a deeper hatred for God, for Jesus Christ, for striking him blind. He could have concocted in his mind it was some, uh, some coincidence or, or some strange anomaly that occurred, but not God. But he didn't. He accepted what was happening in his life. The word that applies to what Paul did, besides paradigm shift, is a word that we use a lot in church, and that is repent. We talk about the need for repentance, and that's not a word that's part of our everyday language, and so we may get concerned or confused with what it means, but it's really a simple concept. What it effectively means is we are heading in one direction, and we turn and go another direction. We're heading to a, a sinful nature, to satisfying self, to looking out for the comfort of our own self and seeking to 
to promote ourselves and realizing then that we have this sin nature, that we are apart from God, we cannot live up to his standard, and so we turn, rejecting self, and move towards Jesus Christ, accepting him as Savior and Lord, initially a Savior, and then moving towards him as Lord. That's what repentance is, and repenting is what Paul did, and it's what each of us must do if we are to come into a right relationship with God. To repent is to be moving in that direction which by our sin nature given to us from birth is away from God and turning and moving in God's direction. When we do that repentance, the highfalutin word for that is a paradigm shift. Paul had a lot to regret. Each of us here can look back at our life and look at our track record and have actions, words, and deeds that we have accomplished, thoughts we regret. But I assume, and I, I really hope correctly, that we don't have murder of innocent people that we regret. This is what Paul was dealing with. Paul did have that. What horrors of torturing Christians like the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 did Paul remember as he lay on his bed blinded? How many did he see put to death? It would not be unreasonable again for him to descend into an emotional breakdown, quivering into a, a, the fetal position, remembering the results of his past life. But Paul was forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ covered his sin, no matter how grievous. From that knowledge and strength, he was able to say, forgetting what lies behind, I press on to the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. It would be interesting to know if Paul remembered after he became a Christian, that God had been calling to him, that God had been speaking to him about his actions, about his need to repent from his life of persecuting Christians. As far as I know, I know there's no scripture about it. I don't know if there's any ancient writings where this is discussed in Paul's life. But in my understanding of God and what I read in his scriptures, God is constantly calling to people, bidding them to come into a relationship with Him, encouraging them to leave their past of sin, their sinful nature. And so I fully expect, I really believe in Paul's life, that God was calling to him, saying, Paul, stop doing this. But obviously Paul didn't hear that. And while God normally works through other people, bringing them into our lives to teach us truth, God does intervene directly in history sometimes, and He did here in Paul's life. He came to Paul, and He struck him down in blindness, and He called out to him about how He was persecuting 
Jesus Christ. And Paul said, who are you that I am persecuting you? And that's where he got the notion. So I really believe that God was speaking to Paul all along. But like a lot of us, Paul turned a deaf ear to what he heard. Or he he just thought it was uh, maybe a demon talking to him in his framework. Regardless, he did not turn until Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus. True to his own words, Paul didn't let his past hinder him from pressing forward in the pursuit of Christ. But just as true as in Santiana's words, Paul remembered the past and learned from it. Paul used his past to teach others to do differently. Chapter 3 of Philippians is an example of Paul using his past life to teach forward-facing concepts to encourage us to do the same of leaving the past and moving forward. This church and all other churches are struggling to recover from the effects of COVID. The pandemic has caused a lot of problems. It has reduced church attendance. But COVID can't be blamed for all the shortcomings. In our past, our failures to an, to, due to an embrace of a wrong standard, a wrong set of perspectives, a wrong set of ideas. And we are here on the second Sunday of a new year with new possibilities, new personalities, and new practicalities. As God does with everyone, He has always been pointing to His way, urging His church to embrace the mission of His Son, Jesus Christ, He has been calling His church to grace and away from legalism. He has been calling His people from self-indulgence to self-sacrifice. He has been calling those who claim the name of Jesus Christ to reach those around them with the gospel. God is calling today. He is constantly calling to His people, Come, follow Me. He says to us, I have come that you might have life and that more abundant. Jesus has said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And it may be that we could relate to what happened to Paul to what's happening now and realize that the COVID pandemic is our road to Damascus, for it has certainly stopped us in our tracks. It has certainly led us to look at different ways to reach people for Christ, and this church in particular was not live streaming until COVID came and we needed to find a way to proclaim the gospel. And so we began recording our services, and sending them out on the internet for other people to watch. Perhaps COVID is our road to Damascus. I know God is speaking. What I don't know is who is listening. We have an opportunity to respond like the Apostle Paul did. 
we are faced with a paradigm shift. We are faced with a call to repent. Many, and hopefully most of us here, have repented of our sin nature. We've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And receiving Him as Savior is a one-time act on our part. God says that when we are receive Jesus Christ, when we accept Him into our life, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being one part, one person of the triune God. I don't think we're going to break the Holy Spirit's seal. I don't think we're going to wrest anyone from the hands of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. God says that we are in His hand and no man shall pluck them out. That salvation, when genuine and sincere and repentant, is once and for all. It's done. The Lordship of Christ is something that is a daily, moment-by-moment walk. It is a regular choice, a constant choice of choosing to follow after God, to follow after the teachings of Jesus Christ. It is a choice to turn from our set of ideas on a regular basis as God speaks to us, changing how we think and act to correspond with the way that Jesus has led us. After Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, this highly driven, highly educated man allowed himself to be led by the hand to a new way. He opened himself to a new interpretation of the facts about Jesus Christ. Paul would probably say he didn't have a choice, but as I've mentioned, he could have chosen to be resentful and hateful, even more so towards God. If he had rejected the call of Jesus Christ, what would have changed? The world would have continued on. The message of God would have continued on in someone else. But the world would have lost one of the greatest teachers of the Christian faith. And I think that's why God made a point to stop Paul, what he was doing, and turn him around. The Christian faith would have continued. We're not going to thwart God's work or God's mission. God says His word will not return unto Him void. And He knows the end. It's going to happen. So Paul's rejection of Jesus Christ would not have thwarted uh, God's mission. And Paul couldn't have stopped the movement if he had rejected Christ's call. But what would have changed is Paul would not have been blessed to be a part of it. Paul would not have had the second chance of seeing people come to life instead of having their life extinguished. If he had rejected the call of Jesus Christ, he would have denied himself the joy of knowing Christ and helping others to know Christ. So we come to the time of response. God is calling. 
how are you going to respond? You're always willing to come accept Christ. If you've not made that decision in your life, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I urge you to make today the day of your salvation. I'm here at the front as we sing the closing hymn, ready to speak with you, ready to pray with you. I'm available throughout the week to meet with you, to talk with you on the phone or by text or email to share how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you do know him, if you have made that choice in your life, if you have accepted Jesus Christ and you're seeking to move towards him, you're seeking to live for him with him as Lord, it may be helpful for you to come, kneel at the altar, recommitting yourself to God, not for salvation again, just to, in your mind, say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to redouble my efforts to move towards you. If you have some question about that, again, I'm available to speak with you. And I urge you to do that. You, of course, can speak to God anywhere and anytime. He's ever present, even when you don't want him to be. He's there. Here in the pews today or when you get home, if you realize you need to recommit yourself to God, to, to hear his call, that you finally hear him saying what he wants you to do and you need to respond, you can do that. God will hear you where you are. You who are watching this on the internet right now, God is present with you and he hears you and he will respond to you if you will call and accept his call. However you need to do that, at this time in service, I'll be at the front if you want to have me speak with you, if you want to pray, if you want to join this local body. But I urge you to settle any issues with God. None of us know about tomorrow. Yes, we'll probably get up and go to work like we always do. Yes, we'll get up and do those things that we always do, probably. But there are those who don't wake up the next day. There are those who experience a car accident or have some health issue. We have no guarantee for tomorrow even though we have a probability of tomorrow. So I encourage you, right now, get at full peace with God. Let's have our closing prayer.